Welcome to the Kyperian Commentary Podcast, where each week we have a discussion with a Kyperian contributor or a guest about published articles or current events. This is the second half of episode five, Is Genesis History? An interview with Thomas Purefoy. Hello, I'm Luke Welch, Kyperian Commentary Contributor and your host for today's episode. Today we are continuing our conversation with Thomas Purefoy. The writer, director, producer, overall maker of the film is Genesis History. Thomas, when was the film out in theaters? So the film was released February 23rd, um, was the first. It was originally set as a one-night showing. Uh, because of the, of the interest in it, it came back for us for encore performances on March 2nd and 7th. I was really excited to see that it was selling so well. Uh, my family and I did see it the first night. Uh, it is a good long film. If you want to see it, everyone, the, uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff in it. And I think it comes in at around an hour and 45 minutes, something like that. Yeah, it, it is. It's a, yeah, I think it was 101 minutes. And I mean, let's be honest, this is not a film that really should have had any kind of success in terms of the film in itself. I mean, I would... Uh, other than the, the scientists and the real great guys, this is a bunch of talking heads. And yes, we go on location, and yes, there's some pretty stuff in it. But it's a bunch of talking heads talking about science and the Bible. And back to back, we've had a few folks who kind of reviewed the film who kind of got that. We're like, you know, there's a lot of documentaries out there, but this one gives you a lot and just keeps pouring it on. Right. So I'll, I'll be the first to say that it had a lot not going for it, which is why it's so curious when we read these reviews. We get a lot on Facebook and you know, Amazon and so forth. And I think it's because people are interested in the content. And so in a sense, right. it's like, you know, we just served it up and, and folks liked it. And the content's interesting. I wish I had mentioned this in our last phone interview, but we just, uh, June 1st, I think, it just came to Netflix. It did. So we, it has come to Netflix and it's curious the whole different audience I think it's reaching out to. So, it's yeah, on it's Amazon, on too, just, and... We, we just hit the Amazon number one DVD, um, the documentary DVD now. We had been kind of holding Congratulations. out. Congratulations. Number two for a long time, and then it kind of moved up to number one. Um, it's been there for a few days at least. Yes, it's been, it's been nice to see. I think that there is an interest in this topic. In this topic, uh, you've gotten some uh, responses uh, critiquing what you did in the film, and a phrase that they've used several times I've seen, this phrase that you made a false dichotomy between two views, and they wanted to say there's more than two views, or you're you're forcing it that if you're not an evolutionary thinker, you've got to be a six-day thinker. Is that what you were doing? What are they saying when they say you've got a false dichotomy? You know, I can kind of explain it. It actually came out the day, February 23rd, my friend Paul Nelson actually wrote a response to this, and Paul's a philosopher. I, I mean, I realized what was going on with them. There's a lot of complex probably issues there. He wrote a response to all people to ask about it. I've actually got a right. I've kind of ignored the whole issue for a while because we've had so much other work to do with marketing. Um, just all the finishing up parts of the film. But I think it's worth talking about because what it does is um, I think it presents a view that it's shifting, and that's what's understandable. Paul's a philosopher. Many people have these criticisms of philosophers or scientists. And so they are looking at this issue through their lens of philosophy or science, and they want to divide the origins debate as an issue of, you know, based on methodological naturalism um, or something like that, a philosophical or scientific point. But that's not what the film is. I mean, the film is basically a genesis history. It's not a genesis philosophy or genesis science. We start with history. 
And I think that the point that we make is that there really are only two options. Everybody's exposed to this dominant view when they open a science textbook, they watch a series like Cosmos, they see films like the X-Men or the Avengers. The idea of the history is everyone knows that over billions of years, strictly physical processes operating without intelligent design are the cause of everything around us. That's right. what Paul says. He says it. You can read his entire interview. His entire He makes that one, one um, we didn't miss out of him, and he never said we did, uh, his entire interview, and meaning that's the full interview, not just what we edited from. Um, and I think that during that time, he had spent a lot of time with me and had been kind of Seeing it through that historical lens, I think as time passed, he was shifted back to his, you know, philosophical lens, and so began to relook at the film from a philosophy perspective. But that's not what we're doing. I mean, the other view is found in the pages of the Bible, and from the first century to the present, people have been reading this account in Genesis and taking it to literal history. God created the earth and the universe over a period of six days. There was a global flood thousands of years later that transformed the earth. Those are the two views. And right. a lot of people all over the world hold them. Nevertheless, there is a small group of people who have adopted the conventional timeline of Earth's history, you know, 13.7 billion years, and yet also say they see design in that history. And so some of them are Christians who've got the you know, rest of the Bible's history, but who come to Genesis 1 and say it's not an accurate history of the world, and they come to Genesis 6 through 8 and say it's not a global flood, they were not listed in the film because I think their view is a... It's a compromise. It's a mixture. It's a marriage between the two different, the two real opposing views, and they've taken things from both and tried to work them together. I think that's well said. View, and, I, and I don't think it's real. I mean, historically, that most people aren't aware of. Sure. When Galileo wrote his book, um, the two world, you know, the, 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 these two opposing world views in terms of science, he was critiquing the geocentric and the heliocentric. And everyone, what most people don't realize is that they actually, the, the view that had some of the smartest guys behind it was the view of Tycho Brahe. And right. Tycho, who was probably the greatest, um, you know, a, a basically the greatest astron- astronomical calculator of his day, I mean, Kepler took his numbers but the, when he wanted them to figure out the ellipse or figure out the, the orbit, he, he used Brahe's stuff. Tycho had a very curious view that, to get it right, it was geocentric, the Earth was the center of the universe, but the sun sent a word, you know, uh, rotated around the Earth, and yet Mercury and Venus were motored around the sun, and then the rest of the stars you know, or the planets were outside there. And what no one realizes is that empirically, Tycho had the best data. Right. He could point and say, look, I have the best. Galileo didn't have any empirical data. Now, most people forget, don't even realize this. There wasn't empirical data to support Galileo's view of the heliocentric universe for like 200 years. So the point is that Galileo didn't even mention Tycho Brahe because he did not, he felt his was a mixture of the two main views. And most people, hey, guess what? They've forgotten Tycho's view. They don't even realize that, that Galileo ignored this other view that was really, you know, smart people held it. So the way that that relates, right. relates to this argument, it's possible that there are more than two views, but for the sake of efficiency, when you're trying to have a conversation that moves anything along, everybody knows that the basic two views are the quote-unquote science view and the quote-unquote Bible view, which I'm not, I'm not myself pitting science and the Bible against each other, but that if you were to talk to um, an academy atheist, they would say they hold to billions of years and evolution, and then they would critique anyone who believed in a biblical view merely because they took 
the Bible as history and discarded with the billions of years. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, is that this is their only two main views, and everything else they subset. They are borrowing from one or the other. And I think that's the reason why they're not included, I don't think it's actually a valid view. If you're a Christian, you're going to struggle to make the history work, because you say you believe in the revelation of God, and that's where you get your view of history, and that, yes, you don't really believe it's accurate in the historical sense, in the sense of Genesis 1 or Genesis 6 through 8. Um, and so that's the problem, is it puts a Christian in this very curious spot of saying, well, I see design there. You're like, okay, so you see design in the trilobite that lived, you know, 540 billion or million years ago, and that may be true, but there's no place for that trilobite within the historical framework that you are advancing, because you're, you're, you're getting it from somewhere totally different. Even people, when you go back and look at the folks that designed that historical view, if you look and Paul brings these up, Guys like Lyell, the guys like Hutton, these guys, well, the first two, Lyell and Hutton, were deists. They did not believe in the black Genesis being accurate history, nor did Gray. So this, the, the problem is that they can say, well, I see design. Well, it's not the design of the Bible. And so that's the thing, is that if you are a Christian, then you subscribe to biblical revelation as the primary way you know anything about history. You know nothing about Abraham or Moses or Jesus without the revelation in the Bible, the historical revelation. There's right. a gross inconsistency for folks who say, well, I can take this but not take that. Well, right, why? so well, either side has a commitment to something that, that... Exactly. And the commitment that you're calling people to with this this film is not a commitment to creation science, but it is a commitment to the Bible, which allows us the idea that if we keep doing science correctly, eventually, through the scientific method of trial, error, hypothesis, reworking our ideas, we'll get around to better and better science that does confirm the Bible. But we're not basing it on the fact that science proves the Bible. We're basing the the call in this film to Scripture teaches us one thing, which is opposed to the Academy's push. This is how you have to see science. Correct, and I think that the other issue is that we use the word science very broadly. Again, so I mentioned at the beginning, you got to define your word. At someone once point, I think it was David Berlinski, said, I've never met you about the answer to the name science. So are you referring to empirical science, operational science, historical science, right. uh, pure science? I mean, geology can do two things, but one aspect of geology is that physics is not in the same way as it's an historical science. It's just trying to interpret phenomena within a context, and that has changed over and over and over again, from catastrophism to uniformitarianism to neo-catastrophism more recently. It's like tectonics was laughed at for, I don't know, decades, introduced originally by a creationist, reintroduced by an astronomer. Everyone laughed at him, and then lo and behold, after World War II, they looked at the submarine charts and, whoa, there are all these mountain ranges. Oh, maybe this plate tectonics is real. Mm-hmm. Within five years, you've got a paradigm shift, and all these geologists will say who are older, so I remember that. The thing is this. Science is just scientists trying to do their best as fallible people to understand the world around them. It's much easier to do use the experimental method on something that is continually repeatable to experiment. We cannot repeat and do any experiments on the past. It's impossible. Right. Hence, if the past precedes even 
known in visual, you know, history, you know, someone recording it and seeing it in history, you've got double problems. So this is the thing, is that the fact that even, you know, a geological outcropping over the past 200 years could be interpreted so many different ways, it reminds me of someone saying in the series on philosophy, he says, again, not a Christian, this curious problem of the West is that we always think because whatever we think now, we always think because we're the most recent, well, surely we are right, aren't we? And that's what always is thought. So I think that this is a problem that Christians can't place too much authority on science, because there is no such thing as science like that, and it's certainly not an authority in any way ultimate. It changes over and over and over again. What do you say are the most difficult... Um, I want to put the the... the onus on our view for a moment. What is the most difficult scientific argument or arguments for a creationist to confront at the moment? Oh, I don't think there's one. I think that there's tons. And I think that's the thing is that science in general, much as any area of science, there's tons of areas that like don't make sense. But let's just go through in terms of the creationist worldview. And I think, again, it's important that there's so few people that have worked in it. Let's go through like from a, uh, a view of geology questions about, so let's talk about biostratigraphy and why do certain things, the ammonites, why do they fall where they fall? These very interesting places where you can see a certain level of ecosystem uh, diversity moving from the bottom of the Paleozoic to the top of the Paleozoic, the, you know, Mesozoic of the dinosaurs, and actually there is very much being an eco ecosystem um, changes, and yet why are they so clearly in certain strata in certain ways? Very curious. Um, heat issues, discuss issues in terms of the oxygen 18 and 16 in the oceans and questions about heat, questions about radioisotope dating and saying, well, there is things that, are, that, that did rapidly happen in the past. What happened to the heat? Or if it wasn't a problem, what do we not understand? Um, discussions about where are things in terms of, we don't find any humans in the Paleozoic, which would actually kind of make sense in terms of it was mainly marine. You don't wouldn't find people today in the bottom of the ocean either. But right. if it moves up to the dinosaurs, why don't you see people? Why don't you see the other thing? Why don't you see modern mammals? Why don't you see angiosperms, flowering plants? But they are anywhere. And these are, here's what's weird. They just appear at the bottom of the Cenozoic, and they're perfect. Like that, and everyone knows how complex a bat is, they're at the bottom of the Cenozoic, at the, you know, the Eocene, and they're a bat. Echolocation, wings, everything. There are strange things in the fossil record that are hard for all views. And so you get into these issues of the paleontologists that are like, well, is it short views, but long views? How the heck molecularly do you get all these creatures just suddenly appearing? That's where creationists are like, well, there's no problem explaining that. My point is that there's so much we do not understand. It is a great opportunity for young Christians wanting to go into this because there's all these great puzzles and challenges. Um, the Bible doesn't tell us every aspect of how things happen. It gives us key detail points that you can kind of anchor and hang your hat on. The rest of it, in many ways, is for wise says you got to go to the rocks and start studying it. What about what are the most difficult scientific arguments for evolutionists? And, and I know that this is a lot of some of the stuff that's in your film. Can you pick one oh, or two yeah, items to just say, you've got all, this is a place I mean, where we can say, laugh at at the laugh at the assumption that evolution is just apparent. Well, I mean, you've got from one thing, you just simply out of the order, I mean, 
principle, the way the universe is ordered, this idea of a big bang that would order certain things from the, 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 the law, the so-called laws of physics, but just the way our physical or, universe is ordered from the elemental universe, the elements, and the way they work together mineralogically, then when you start to actually look at the idea, I would argue that the Earth formed, these ideas of planetesimals grouping together that suddenly would create an Earth that we have today, with this very unique biosphere is really kind of strange. Then you know, the origin of life issues are, are extreme when you start saying that well, during the Hadean and the Archean there wasn't oxygen that we need, and yet you need life that has oxygen. And then you get just the whole DNA issues of like, okay, well, so how do all these DNA things happen? You know, these single cells, where do they come from? And then DNA, and how does it get more complex? Epigenetics is a huge problem for evolutionary thinking because epigenetics says, well, it actually, people... You know, they actually, the, I think the article on science was the sins of the fathers. But the idea is that, in fact, for the next generation, you can pass on some trait. This is like weird Lamarckianism. So you go to the, the FOSS record, the Cambrian explosion. It's just there. All of a sudden, complex typing. A guy like Stephen Jay Gould wrote Wonderful Life, just discussing this. Very problematic. Why are they all there? And then why do they all appear like they do? I mean, there are, like I said, it is really easy from a scientific perspective, to punch holes in all the views. And I think that's important to realize, is that it should remind us of our fallibility and give us a level of humility, that the reason that we needed a Bible given to us that revealed the past and revealed our, the need for our salvation is because we can't do it or figure it out on our own. Right. I think you pointed that out in, in, in the uh, film, uh, that there is a the Bible itself says that apart from revelation, you you couldn't have known things. The point the point pointed out about the Peter versus that people are willfully ignorant about uh, the flood and about other things that have been revealed. Um, without Scripture, we we couldn't know the things that we couldn't test in the past. But God has told us. Uh, let me ask. No, you know nothing yes. about Abraham. Right. Right. Uh, let me ask: uh, Is there a blacklisting in the academy for non-standard views? Oh, absolutely. And this isn't just with creationists. This goes back to I mean, the, the, the classic story is Fulton Art, the astronomer who was I think he was a plasma, either steady state or a plasma guy. Can He's you say that name again for us? Fulton Arp, um, famous art, uh, famous guy who basically questioned the Big Bang cosmology because of his work on quasars, and he was locked out of even using telescopes. So this is a guy who's like, it <laughs> reminds me of Andrew Snelling, who's not been allowed to take samples. So this is, there's a whole group, I mean, that's what that article we quoted in our film, this idea of that the Big Bang cosmology has been questioned by all sorts of people, from steady state guys to plasma guys to creationists. And they all say, oh, no, we're pushed out of the academy, and there's no money for us. And that's the key. There's no money for research. And I think that's the important point here is that most of the guys I know, they aren't, aren't going to get hired, these scientists, because they don't follow the conventional paradigm. And they don't even follow, you know, kind of pay lip service, you know, kind of, you know, the, you know, use the, what is it called, the, um, um, Put the salt on the uh, the emperor's <laughs> statue, like right. some of the older creationists will do. They don't even do that, and so the result is they're out and thrown in the fire, and they can't even try to get jobs at places because they don't. 
they hold to such an outsider view. But and that's, of course, now, I what I think that that's that kind of a content you get out of Ben Stein's film uh, Expelled that, uh, Absolutely. that really focuses on the academy. And that's not even from a directly a Christian standpoint. That's from uh, that's from a, a broader perspective saying that people with non-standard views get kicked out. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, it's, the book on that by Gary Bergman called The Slaughter of the Dissidents. <laughs> and Slaughter of the like, Dissidents? Slaughter of the Dissidents. And he's huh. a whole history of all these folks getting basically cut out. And that, that is the way. I mean, in a weird way, Max Planck said this. At the end of his life, he said, look, it wasn't that the quantum guys beat us. It was that we all died out. And I think that's important is that the goal of stopping any of you it just stopped the guy teaching it, and eventually you hope it'll die out. Now, the problem that has driven the evolution is not the creationists won't die out. And they keep seeing from generation to generation getting better, even though they're like, you know, weeds that you try to get rid of, and then they come back. And so, if you can pick up these books, I think of a book called Megafauna, fascinating, you know, Cenozoic large animals, totally conventional view. You open the book up, and guess what? It's complaining about creationists and, you know, the problem of evolutionary education. You go to the end of a book like Rudwick, I mean, it reminds me of Shakespeare, you know, he thinks the lady doth protest too much. Mm -hmm. um, Gould, Rudwick, all these guys, they always bring back up the young earth creationists and make a point to say, these guys are idiots, we know they're not right, we know this is all wrong. And I'm like, why do you keep bringing them back up? Does and that do. bleed over into the Christian world? Is there blacklisting in in the Christian academy or the Christian church for... Oh, the yeah, standard. Yeah, I mean, I what I, we would call the standard yeah. historical view of six day creationism has been believed on up till now. But are it's there the Christians being pushed out? Yeah, yeah, it's the dominant view of the pews. It's not the dominant view among the intellectuals. And so the intellectuals kind of say, "Oh, I mean, this is a lot of comments that said about the Oh, this is going to be you know deluding all these people for you know, decades to come." Well, this is the intellectuals who want to live in the halfway house. They want to have their cake and eat it. They want an old earth. They want to try to hold on to the scripture. And they created all kind of dehistoricizing hermeneutics to justify it. That your average person says, I don't buy that. That doesn't even sound isn't like the, at all off the Bible that I'm, I'm reading. And it's Tim Cowley says, you open up the book, and it starts off talking about creation in six days. Mm -hmm. That's kind of going down the gauntlet. Which means all these folks have got to spend a lot of time. And so it's intellectual to nuance things. And they're going to absolutely want to keep out anyone else that actually might have some intellectual credibility. They do not want them to see the light of day because people begin to say, huh, that guy's, he actually makes a lot of sense. And that was what I wanted to do with my film is I wanted to put, you know, 13 of these guys up front and center and say, look, these guys are pretty smart guys and they pretty much accept six-day creation and reject the other view. I think it's valid and reasonable that we in the church can hold to this. So then you get folks, oh, false dichotomy, this, that, and the other. They don't want to admit that, well, actually, we really have taken a view that you really can't find in the history of the Church. It really did start, you know, post-1785, and yes, it really isn't probably as old or as enduring as our view of the Earth is. Well, let me ask you, do you have more coming down the line? Is this movie it, or do you have other plans with well, your work? We, just in this, we, we do have other ideas. I mean, this is, for, to answer the question too, but as far as Joseph goes, we've got, I mean, we interviewed these guys. I've got 40 hours of this stuff. So we will be, we're editing now all of these interviews. And there's a lot of locations that have never been seen, um, meaning that we just 
Steve Austin, we showed two places in the film. We filmed them in like five or six. We will be putting these down into 20 minute segments where they really let these guys dig deeper into these topics. And those are going to be released over the next six months. You know, I've got a curriculum piece. I've got to write a book. There's all this extra material. So that's Genesis. So the Genesis project you did with his Genesis history still has installments to pay out for people who are hungry for more. Oh, yeah, we've got a lot coming. In fact, we've got a conference in the next few weeks to Catholic Applause, and we're going to be presenting, a, a, you know, we'll probably have 40 hours just of that conference material, some of which will be streaming on Facebook for free, some of which will, you know, provide folks for download for a very reasonable amount this whole conference. So um, there's a lot of material coming. It's just because when you deal with video, it doesn't always come quickly. So you got to go through the edit process. You've got to make sure it's right, and we try to get it, looking and sounding and as good as we can, so that's just not a fast process. So, so if yeah, people a lot want, more coming on Genesis. If people want to get uh, subscribed into some kind of way that they can keep up with you, your work, how, how do you direct people to finding you and your work? You know, the best place to go is to Is Genesis History. We already at IsGenesisHistory.com have a ton of resources. You know, the, I mean, the interviews that downloaded, things from, that were cut in the film, um, articles, links to all these scientists and their articles. Just, that's really kind of our resource site. And you can sign up for updates there. And so there's a place to sign up um, for, to get on our newsletter list. Well, that's great, Thomas. I think that uh, we will be paying attention to it, my family and I, and I hope that our listeners do too. Uh, I appreciate you coming and spending time talking with us. And once again, this has been Thomas Purifoy. I'm Luke Welch talking with Thomas, and he is the maker of Is Genesis History. Uh, you can find the links for today's episode uh, by visiting at us at kyperian.com and by subscribing to receive our updates as well. You can also find us, Kyperian, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thanks for joining us on this episode, and we will see you next time.